So Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. In this chapter in Exodus, we're going to continue to see the instruction God is giving to Moses concerning the tabernacle. And in these 10 verses that we're going to read, it's going to give us a picture of the altar of incense and what that means. That's what we're going to talk about today. And as in all of the things that we've talked about concerning the tabernacle, this is pointing us ultimately to Christ and to his church. And the altar of incense signifies the ministry of prayer and intercession. And this altar pictures for us the prayers of the saints that are received by the Father. It also vividly pictures for us the prayer and the intercession of Jesus that's offered before the Father on our behalf eternally. And that is good news. You ready? Exodus 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both sides. And you shall place them on its two sides. And they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that, it, that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. And when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall not make atonement, I'm sorry, and Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel. We ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Let this truth invade our hearts. Let it be good seed planted in good soil. Let it bring forth a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Let this come forth, Father, for your glory. For your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this text shows us the altar of incense which is the altar of prayer before the Lord. It's overlaid in gold. It's made of acacia wood like, like the other furnishings, but this is overlaid in gold. It's an altar. There was another altar. There was the altar of burnt offering or the brazen altar that was outside the tabernacle, inside the enclosure. That's where they put the animals. That was a bronze altar. Bronze speaks of the earth. Gold speaks of heaven. This is a gold altar, and it speaks of the prayers that are offered up, that are 
ascending to the Lord, it speaks of the heavenly nature of its purpose. The placement of the altar speaks of our prayers that are before the Lord. And like our prayers, the incense burned as a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout the generations. The prayers of the saints have been going up to the Lord since the very beginning of the creation of man. And they have not stopped. We are in Christ Jesus, eternal being, and the prayers on our behalf that Jesus prays and intercedes on our behalf are perpetual. They are eternal. No strange incense was to be offered. In no other name may we approach the Father. The atoning blood of Jesus cleanses all. The blood was placed on the four horns of this altar as it was for the brazen altar. And it speaks of the cleansing. God cleanses his things with blood. And you'll see this. God sprinkled, had Moses sprinkle the blood on the garments. The blood is sprinkled on the altars. It is the blood that cleanses and makes holy. And so the blood was applied. This is a picture of the atoning blood of Christ that cleanses all and makes us in our prayers acceptable to the Father. And the Lord concludes that section by declaring this. It is most holy to the Lord. So the first five, five verses, the first half of what we just read is the instructions concerning the construction or the specification. The altar of incense is an altar of worship. So when you pray to the Lord, you are worshiping. Sometimes we hear the word worship and we think worship is a certain form, a certain way we do something. And worship takes form. Worship has a form. What we're doing today is worship. Worship wasn't just the songs we sang. Worship wasn't just the prayers we prayed. Worship is the preaching and the hearing of the word. Worship is everything that we are doing. But when you're at home, when you're in your place and you are praying to the Lord, that is worship to the Lord. And so this altar of incense was an altar of worship. It's an altar from which our prayers are offered up to God in worship. These verses give the specification for the altar of incense, and the altar was overlaid with gold, which signified the heavenly purpose and the heavenly nature of what this altar represented. Our prayers, listen church, our prayers are not offered to the earth. They're not offered to the sun, the moon, the stars, trees, or, or some idol. They're offered to the Father in heaven. We do not pray to a man or to a woman. We pray to God in heaven. We pray to, an, to, to the creator. We don't pray to idols or any other created thing. We pray to the Father in heaven in the divine name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verses 12 through 17, listen to the words of Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 16, verses 23 through 24. And in that day, this is the words of Jesus, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So what we see here is that in Christ, in the name of Christ, we have access to the throne of grace through prayer. And our access is granted in the name of Jesus, who is the only way to the Father. Now I want to go back to John 14, and I want to point out something here. The reason I read those verses from verse 12 through verse 17 is so that you understand the context of what Jesus is saying. If we just pulled a verse out of context, let's say if we just pulled out Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you take that verse and you put that verse on your bumper, if you put that verse on your refrigerator and you begin to focus on that verse out of the context of what Jesus is saying, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What might you be tempted to believe? That you could ask anything in his name and he would do it. Lord, I want to win that 250 million Powerball. I'm asking in the name of Jesus. Now, you have to do it, God, because your word says. Does he have to? What is the context of these statements by Jesus concerning our prayers and the promise of our prayer? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, he who believes in me, whoever believes in me is what Jesus is saying the works that I do he will do also and greater works than these he will do Jesus is talking about the works his work the works of God so if we just take that scripture ask anything in his name and he'll do it out of the context of the works that God has ordained that we do as his church as his people we can fall into error in believing something that is not true. And if we believe and we confess and we don't get what we are believing and confessing for, we, we may suffer great disappointment. And if we believe God was obligated to give me what I wanted and he didn't, guess who I'm going to be disappointed with? I'm going to be disappointed with God. Guess what I'm going to be tempted to believe? I'm going to, I'm going to be tempted to believe that God forsook me, that God wasn't listening to me, that God abandoned me. But if we understand the words of Jesus in their context, that what Jesus is promising, that in the context of the work that we do for him as the church, he's made certain promises to us, and he has given us access to the Father so that we can go directly to the Father in his name, and the Father hears us. 
The promise associated with prayer in these verses in John are to any who believe. And as believers, we are to know that Jesus has given us his name to use in prayer. And with his name, we are given the Holy Spirit. Now in Christ, by grace, through faith, we have his name and we also have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Let's pause right there. We always know what we want to pray for. But notice, we don't always know what we should pray for. There is a difference between what we want to pray for and what we should pray for. This is the work of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit aligning what we should pray for with what we desire to pray for. As much as you and I might not like it, it may be that God doesn't want you or me to win the $250,000 Powerball. Because he may know that it would ruin our life. So he's not even going to give us the opportunity. Or maybe, he, maybe he'll let us. I don't know. So Paul's point here is, we don't always know what we should pray for, but the Holy Spirit does. This is our weakness. We don't always know. But the Spirit in us knows all. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How does the Spirit in us make intercession? He makes it according to the will of God. Jesus said, you pray to the Father in my name and he will do what you ask. What we need to understand there is that we are asking according to the will of God. You say, but I don't always know what the will of God is. Well, here's something else. If you would diligently read your Bible, you would begin to know much more fully what the will of God is. But even with that, we don't always know what the will of God is. But guess who does? The spirit on the inside of us. And God will always answer our prayer according to his will. This is the promise Jesus gave in John 14 and in John 16. This is the promise Paul is making in Romans chapter 8. We don't always know what we should pray for, but the spirit in us does. And that spirit of God that dwells in us is never not praying, is never not interceding on our behalf. The Holy Spirit in you is not waiting for you. He is praying for you. The Holy Spirit in you is making intercession for you according to the will of God. This should motivate us to pray in confidence, knowing that the Spirit is working and moving and interceding on our behalf perpetually. So what happens when you pray for something and God doesn't answer you? What if you hear silence? What if you... What if you don't get the answer you're looking for? What are you to conclude? That God has forsaken you? That God 
doesn't love you. No, you are to conclude that his will was different from your will. Now, we don't always like that. But do we trust the Lord? Do we trust the will of the Lord, the plans and the purposes of God? They're very different from ours. Sometimes the plans and the purposes of God bring great hardship and pain to our life. I'm just being honest with you. But here's what the Bible over and over throughout its pages from beginning to end teaches us and encourages us in. God knows. God loves his people. God has a plan and a purpose for his people in all things, the bitter and the sweet. And God has promised that he hears our prayers. And God has given us his spirit to work in us, to mold us and to shape us so that our will begins to conform to his will. God has promised that we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can rest assured that the Father hears the prayers of his Son, whoever lives to make intercession on our behalf. Sometimes we may think, oh, I'm not good enough to come to God. Well, that's true. You're not, and neither am I. But we don't come to God in ourselves. We don't come to God in our own name. We don't come to God in our own identity. We come to God in Christ Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ. We come to God in his righteousness. We come to God based on the work Jesus did for us on the cross, not based on our own works. And this is exactly what Paul is writing here in Romans 8, 34. He who, ha who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Those who come to God through him, we come to God through Jesus Christ, and he is able to save to the uttermost every person who comes to God through Jesus Christ, since he always lives to make intercession for them. God is not looking for our perfection. He is looking to the perfection of his son. We seek and we strive to be holy because God is holy. We live righteously now because we have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our fruit is to be consistent with our root. And if our life is in Christ, then our life is to be Christ-like. This is the altar of prayer. In verse 6, Moses instructs that this altar shall be put before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. 
So if you can picture, the tabernacle was divided into two rooms. There was a veil. You go through the first veil and you go into this room and there is, there is a menorah. There is a table with bread and then there's an altar of incense. And that altar of incense is sitting before a curtain, another veil. And behind that veil, when you walk through it, is the Ark of the Testimony, is the mercy seat that covers the Ark. This is where God dwelt. This is where the presence of, the God, of God dwelt between the cherubim. Put the Ark before the veil that is, be, put the, I'm sorry, the altar before the veil that is before the Ark where I meet with you. The placement of the altar speaks of our prayers that come before the Lord. Our prayers are right before him. You could not enter into the presence of the Lord behind the veil without coming to the altar of incense first. How do we come to the Lord today? How are we encouraged and privileged to come to the Lord today? We come to him in prayer. When you pray, you have the assurance that God hears your prayers. If you pray things that are contrary to the will of God, God's not going to answer your prayers the way you want. But God is ever working, ever molding, ever shaping us. We are to be reading and washing our minds with the word of God so that our minds are being renewed to the truth of God so that our prayers and our desires and our will begins to align with that will of God. And so this altar is right here before the veil. You could not go into the presence of God before you came to this altar. We don't enter his presence apart from prayer. We saw this in the life of Jesus who was constantly communing with his father in prayer. And we are now given the privilege to commune with the Father through prayer in the name of Jesus. In Christ, we now may enter in and commune with the Father through prayer. And then in verse 7 and 8, God instructs Aaron that Aaron shall burn on this altar sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps, at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So twice a day, there was incense burnt on this altar in the morning and in the evening. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul makes this statement. He says, we are commanded to pray without ceasing. He says, pray without ceasing. That is a command. It's not a suggestion. And Paul didn't make that command unaware of what was happening in the temple and in the tabernacle before that. That there was incense offered up perpetually, continually to the Lord, which was a picture of the prayers of God's people being lifted up continuously before God. Pray without ceasing. The burning of incense represents the prayers of God's people. We see this most vividly in John's revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 8, John writes, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp 
and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So what are the prayers of the saints? It is the incense ascending to God. So that incense burnt on that altar and that smoke and that aroma ascending to the Lord is a picture of the prayers of the saints that go before the Lord. In Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. It is this altar, the altar of incense, that's pictured in the book of Revelation. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which the with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. In Exodus, the incense offered upon the golden altar before the veil leading into the presence of God represents the prayers of God's people. But the picture given to us in Revelation is of the same altar of incense, but with one major difference. There is no longer a veil separating the altar from the throne of God. This is very significant for us today. The fact that when John has the vision and he sees not the brazen altar, we don't see the brazen altar in his vision of the heavenly. We see the golden altar of incense and we see that golden altar of incense right before the throne of God. There is no veil. There is the altar. There is the throne. There is no veil. There is no separation between the altar and the throne. This is significant for us today, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was the veil that separated man from the presence of God. And that separation has been removed in Jesus Christ. Listen to Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verses 37 and 38. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice on the cross and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This wasn't a sheet that you could take and rip apart. This was a, a veil that was a hand's breadth thick. And the Bible says when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying that there is no longer a separation between man and God. The writer of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Your hope enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus not only entered behind the veil for us, he has removed the veil for us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, only the high priest once a year could enter the holiest. But now the writer of Hebrews says, brethren, we have boldness now to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. 
and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the blood that sprinkles us, that cleanses us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews associates drawing near to God with holding fast the confession of our hope. He also associates it with our consideration of one another in the assembling of ourselves together. The only time the high priest went behind the veil was once a year on the Day of Atonement, while the assembly of God's people were all there assembled together. That is a detail not lost to the writer of Hebrews. That is a detail not lost to the Apostle Paul. That is a detail that was not lost to Jesus. Now, in Jesus Christ, we have unlimited access to the Father. There is no longer a veil separating us, for it has been taken away just as our sin is taken away in Jesus. Our assembling together each week as God's people is our worship of God in our celebration of the reality that is now ours in Christ. The veil is taken away as our sin is taken away. And through Jesus Christ, we draw near to God with confidence. We may now come to the very throne of grace. And that is a privilege that we should not take for granted. It is a privilege we should never forsake to observe and to celebrate. Though it is a privilege too great for us to comprehend, it is a privilege given to us in Jesus. I think it is beyond our ability to comprehend the privilege that God has given to us to come into his presence unhindered with full access through Jesus Christ. When for centuries, only once a year, and only the high priest could momentarily go behind that veil into the presence of God to sprinkle blood on that mercy seat so that the sins of God's people would be atoned for. And then next year, he had to do the very same thing. And now in Jesus Christ, because Jesus, the Lamb of God, has shed his blood, has cleansed us by his blood, has made us kings and priests to our God. We have unlimited access to the very throne of grace, the very presence of God. It is a privilege that is beyond our human ability to comprehend. But it is a privilege we should know is true because the scripture tells us and our own spirit and the spirit of God in us should bear witness There is not a person that will be in hell who did not miss heaven by more than a few inches. And the difference between heaven and hell 
is trying to comprehend what we have been given by God in Jesus Christ with this or receiving it and embracing it and trusting in it with this right here. To comprehend the privilege, to comprehend what it means to have unhindered access to the presence of God is something that our minds cannot deal with. But it is something that your heart and your spirit should know is true. Even if you don't fully understand. And to know that we have been given that privilege, not because we are worthy, but because Christ is worthy. The altar of incense is seen before the unveiled throne of God in heaven, showing us that the way has been opened for us to come before the very throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but, as, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Never think that Jesus does not know how you feel. Never think that Jesus cannot identify with whatever situation, with whatever circumstance you may find yourself in. Because God absolutely knows and God absolutely can identify with any sinful temptation, with any pain of loss. He is a Savior who can identify with our sorrows. This is why he came to this earth. This is why he put on human flesh. He felt real pain, and the Father felt real loss when the Son was given up on that cross. We have a God who understands our weaknesses, who sympathizes with our suffering. We have a God who has given us access, who has made a way for us to come to the very throne of grace to find that grace and that help in time of need. We are given the assurance that the way to the Father's presence has been opened to us through Jesus Christ. We now come boldly to the throne of grace with the assurance that he has received us and that he hears our prayers. So here is this altar, the altar of prayer. It is before the very presence of God. It invites us to come into that presence by the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. But those prayers, that offering on that altar, is prayer that has a prescription. Verse 9 you shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. This is not about a formula for prayer. This is about the focus of our prayers. Our prayers are focused in Jesus Christ. 
and the work of God in Jesus Christ. And they are offered directly to the Father. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. And he has said, you go to the Father in my name. So we don't have to pray to a saint. We don't have to pray to the Virgin Mary. We don't have to pray to anyone or anything else. In the name of Jesus, we go directly to the Father. The only access we have to the Father is through the Son. Jesus is our one way to the Father, and there is no other. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we attempt to come to the Father by any other way, if we attempt to offer prayer in any other name, it would be as Aaron and his sons offering strange incense to the Lord. The altar of incense is an altar of worship. It is the altar from which our prayers are offered up to God in worship. Any presentation to God in worship was to be in holiness and righteousness as God prescribed in his word. Humanly and naturally, it is impossible for us to offer perfection to God. We are not perfect. And even our prayers in and of ourselves, in our own mind, our own hearts, and our own desires, our prayers are not perfect, but we offer them in the perfect name of Jesus. We come to the presence of God and we offer up our prayers through the perfect one who is Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed by his blood and made new creations. We are still imperfect creatures living in a fallen world, but we are made acceptable through Christ. In our imperfection, we offer the best unblemished sacrifice we have. When you come here on Sunday morning and we take up the tithe and the offering, for instance, you're not buying anything from God. You're not buying favor from him. The more money you get, the more favor you get from God. That's not how it works. We're not buying, we're not purchasing favor from God. But what we should have is a heart that desires to give our very best to him. That desires to, to let go of all the constraints, to let go of all the things that hold us and bind us, that, that hold us in fear or unbelief. That we break free from those and we freely offer to God all things, most importantly, our very hearts and lives. When we come and we worship, we offer our heart, our desires. We do so in his holiness and in his righteousness that is given to us in Jesus Christ. We still sin, though our desire is that we do not. When we do, we have an advocate with the Father. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I write these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, because we will and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous is our advocate with the Father. That is good news. And as we come to the Father through the Son, we offer to Him in the prescribed manner. And we have confidence 
in the offering of prayer we bring. We come in the name of Jesus. We offer up in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus, God hears and God receives us and our prayer. Verse 10, And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generation. It is most holy to the Lord. So this is the day of atonement. This is the one day of the year. There were three times Israel gathered together, assembled together. The day of atonement was one when the nation assembled together. It was when they would sacrifice. There were two sacrifices. One, they would kill and they would take that blood and they would apply that blood to the horns of this altar. Then they would go in behind the veil to the mercy seat and the high priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. This atoned for the sins of the nation. That blood that was applied on that altar speaks of the blood of Jesus that has been applied to us. Why are your prayers acceptable? Because the altar that we offer our prayers from that ascend up to God have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Not just a physical gold altar. We don't know if what John saw, if there it doesn't really matter symbolically or in reality. John in his vision in Revelation sees this golden altar. But here's what we know. The prayers you offer up from your heart to God are clean because of the blood of Jesus that has been applied to the altar of your heart by grace through faith. And like the bronze altar, this, offer, this altar was cleansed with blood. The same way your heart is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The body and the blood of Jesus has been offered once and for all. In John's revelation, we don't see the bronze altar. We see the gold altar. Because we're not offering animals anymore. We're not offering the blood of animals. We're offering our prayers to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. On the cross of Christ, that cross represents God's altar, the altar on which God put his lamb and sacrificed his lamb so that the blood of his sacrifice could cleanse us from our sin and make us acceptable in his presence. With the blood of Christ being shed, there is no longer a need for the blood of animals. Christ is our eternal atoning sacrifice. And what remains, whether symbolically or in reality, is the altar of incense, which pictures the perpetual prayers of the saints ascending to God. God tore down his temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and there has not been an animal sacrifice offered on the brazen altar since that time of its destruction. Yet there is a golden altar, an altar of incense that has continually lifted up the prayers of the saints. Those prayers have continually ascended to the presence of God because the altar of incense is the altar from which we offer our prayers to God. From your heart, from your cleansed heart, your prayers go up to God. 
And the promises God hears, God accepts because of the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus applied to the four corners of the cross, God's altar of sacrifice that cleanses us. That same blood is applied to cleanse the altar of incense. It cleanses our hearts so that our prayers that are offered are offered on a holy altar that has been cleansed with the most holy blood of God's most holy Son. And when you offer up prayer to God, it is offered from a place that has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It is most holy to the Lord. This is the assurance we have in Jesus Christ. And that, church, is good news for you and for me and for all. Amen? Let's prepare to come to the table. This table of grace, this table of thanksgiving, It's not just, the good news is not just when you die, you get to go to heaven. The good news is so much greater than that. So many people sell short the reality of the good news. The good news doesn't just apply one day when you get to go to heaven. The good news applies right now. You pray right now. You cry out to God right now. And when you cry from a heart of faith that's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, the promise of God is that he hears your prayer. And even when your prayer may not be in line with the word of God, there is the spirit of God on the inside of you ever making intercession according to the will of God, molding you and shaping you and bringing you into alignment with his will. This is the good work of God. This is the graceful work of God. This is the work we celebrate at this table. As you trust in Jesus, come to the table. Here's your charge. Jesus is our great high priest, but we are all priests and kings to our God in Jesus Christ. We are given the right to minister at the golden altar of incense, and in Christ we have drawn near and entered into the presence of God. There is no veil of separation any longer. We are not permitted only once a year, but perpetually, eternally. We are free to draw near and enter into his presence. We have been given the ministry of prayer and intercession. Let us pray. Let us intercede on behalf of our own, on behalf of the church, of Christ's fellowship, of our nation. May we take seriously the admonition and the promise. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15, the declaration is, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Those are the words of God, and we are God's house, and you are the church, and you are the place in which God promises that his eyes will be open 
and his ears attentive to prayer. In Christ, God is attentive and hears your prayers. So pray, church. Pray his will be done. Do not confuse silence or another answer with no answer or no attention to your prayers. The point of prayer is not to change God, but to change us. Prayer aligns our will with the will of God. We are commanded to pray without ceasing. Therefore, church, let us pray in every way and every day. Pray without ceasing that his will be done on earth in you in CFC as it is in heaven. Pray that you and me and all the people of God would humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and repent that we would know and experience the forgiveness of our sin and the healing of our land. May God in his mercy grant this grace to us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.